I've studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. The words and pictures, it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil, a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are a last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football, year-round, nobody cares. Basketball, year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me you make comic books here. Oh, that's from Superman? Smallville. You have been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I love, love, freaking love Superboy. Now, you wouldn't really know that based on all the episodes that I've released up to this point, because I think I've only talked about Superboy and really Superboy comics, and I think it's been two episodes. So, an objective outsider would be, I think, pretty well justified in questioning, perhaps even doubting, how much I truly love Superboy. But, guys, it needs to be said that I fucking adore Superboy. And the reason for that, and and actually before we even get into the reason for that, when I say Superboy, what I mean is Superman as a boy, you know? And... I think part of the reason for that is because when I was a kid, I think the majority of my Superman comic book reading experience was the post-crisis Superman, John Burns Superman. And that's a character, for those of you who don't know, that was a character that never really was Superboy, right? He became, he, he took up the identity of a costumed superhero as an adult. He was never really Superboy. He became Superman as an adult. Alright? So, that that's good. That's, that's very entertaining. That's a completely valid way to tell the story. But what I came to realize is that's not the only way to tell the story. Basically, I started this pretty epic reading project when I was, I don't know, probably about 27 or so. And I decided to really give, especially the Bronze Age, 
I decided to, to just give that a chance, you know? And so what I ended up doing was reading my way through the entire run of Bronze Age Superman. And what I mean by that is literally the monthly title called Superman. I read that from issue number 233 up to, I believe, issue number 423, I think is when that that title um, ends and becomes something else. It gets relabeled. So read it all the way through to then. And one of the things that I just could not escape is that for as interesting and entertaining and whatnot as the Burn Age Superman is, the Bronze Age, the Bronze Age Superman is, is more mythic. Does that make sense? The Bronze Age Super, and I would say really the, really the entire pre-Crisis Superman canon, it has this, this very mythic feel to it, you know? The writers of those stories knew they were writing the stories of basically a Greek god, you know? This was, there was little or no effort to make this character into a sort of relatable everyman. Does that make sense? So that was a completely different way of reading these comics than anything I was originally expecting, put it that way. So that process ultimately led me to sort of a a brief little voyage. It didn't really last very long at that time, but it kind of led me into this brief little voyage of of reading Superboy comics too, you know? I would come back to that in the future, but one of the things that I kind of liked about Superboy and I kind of didn't like about Superboy at the same time was that there really wasn't a moment of... I can't say there wasn't a moment of transformation because honestly there, there in fact was, but there wasn't as much to distinguish Superboy from Superman as I might have liked at the time. And what I ultimately came to realize is that this character's growth and maturity, it's not necessarily a a transformation of him becoming just a simple farm kid to becoming Superman, like what we saw in Smallville. If that's the character journey you're looking for with Superboy, you're probably going to come away disappointed. It really is as simple as that. What we're seeing here is a is a character that he's all good in one sense, but there are there are key issues for him to learn. One of which is how to be a better superhero. He's got his powers. He's operating openly as Superboy, but there are I guess tricks of the trade that he hasn't really learned yet. You know, there are certain things that Superman as an adult would know to do that Superboy just really doesn't, especially here in in, in the comic series that I'm going to be talking about today, which is The New Adventures of Superboy. Frequently, what we see is a character who's somewhat learning the ropes. He knows how to use his powers. He's got mastery over that. So... You know, this isn't really a coming-of-age story as such. Instead, what we're seeing is a character 
who's basically all-powerful and basically all-good, he just doesn't always know how to be this. You understand? So, that, when you think about it, is actually a really engaging and really entertaining way to tell stories about Superboy, which, again, is Superman as a boy. You know, he's got the the basic worldview that he needs to have. He's basically all good. He's basically all powerful. But one of the things that he has to learn how to do is he basically has to learn how to be a superhero. And there are times when he does the job really well. There are other times, though, where he needs a mulligan, one might say. And that is... I mean... The New Adventures of Superboy as a series is just chock full of that kind of thing. And so that was a completely different way to present the character of Superboy. And to this day, I kind of regard the loss of Superboy as one of the great tragedies that came out of, well, I can't even really say Crisis on Infinite Earths, one of the, one of the great losses of john burns revamp of superman because it was more than just a reboot i mean it was a reboot but this was also as much as anything a reimagining and i'm not criticizing john burn i am not insulting john burn i think his work on superman is phenomenal but it came at a cost and one of the costs was superboy it's only sometimes in retrospect that you can fully understand what it is that that you've lost and certainly that seems to be the case here so anyway today's comic is going to be the new adventures of superboy number one now in a previous episode specifically this was episode number nine i talked about actually i talked about a couple of things i talked about superman the secret years which was sort of the transition from Superboy to Superman in the Bronze Age. But the lead-up to that was The New Adventures of Superboy number 51, which I also talked about in episode number 9. So if you're interested in, in listening to that episode, feel free. Again, episode number 9. And I talked about The New Adventures of Superboy number 51 and Superman The Secret Years miniseries. So... That was sort of the transition that I, that I alluded to earlier, that moment where Superboy, apart from learning how to be a superhero, he has to learn another lesson too. A very painful one, in fact. So before all of that, right here in, in The New Adventures of Superboy number one, basically what we're getting here is... This isn't really, I, I don't, th- I wouldn't categorize this issue as a mission statement of what the New Adventures of Superboy as a title was going to be, but it is nevertheless a very, I think it's a worthy introduction to this series. And I mean, even, you know, the cover of it, it this is just comic booky, bronze agey goodness. You know, it's clearly all about Superboy's birthday, but you well, actually, really, Clark Kent's birthday. But the reality is you can't put Clark Kent on the cover of a comic book very often, especially not a number one. You pretty much have to put 
Superboy on the cover. And so what you what you would sometimes get is kind of non sequitur bullshit like this, where this is clearly supposed to be Clark Kent's birthday party because he's surrounded by Chief Parker, Lana Lang, Pete Ross, and all of that. But he's in his full Superboy outfit because this is the cover, and the cover needs to get attention. And you've got Martha saying, Trust us, Superboy. Without this extra candle, you can't celebrate your 16th birthday. So there's even a little bit of exposition on the cover because it lets you know not only is this Superboy, specifically this is his 16th birthday. So what the fuck's going on here? All will be revealed. And that just about leads us into the summary, in fact, which is as follows. In the Kent household, among friends and family, Clark Kent prepares to blow out the candles on his birthday cake for his 16th birthday. Lana Lang badgers him to blow the candles out with one breath rather than several weak gasps and believes that his, his or otherwise she believes that his wish won't come true. Pete Ross questions why Clark's uh, cake has 17 candles on it since it's his 16th birthday. I'm going to put this little summary on pause and, and just say that, you know, I guess I hadn't really thought about this too much, but it's been kind of a family tradition, at least when I was growing up, to always put one extra candle on the birthday cake, you know, kind of one to grow on and all of that sort of thing. So I don't know, maybe that's uncommon. I, you know, if it is, let me know. I mean, guys, if you've never even heard of this practice before, send me an email. Let me know. Trennismagnus at gmail.com because when I was growing up, if it was my eighth birthday, there'd be nine candles on the cake. If it was my ninth birthday, there'd be ten candles on the cake, so on and so forth. So it's just interesting, I guess. Anyway, Jonathan and Martha explain that, that it's a Kent family tradition, and they see it as good fortune for the upcoming year. This isn't entirely true, though, as found out when the Kent, uh, the Kent parents flash back to eight years ago. The two stand in the kitchen discussing the events of the previous night. Not only past Clark Kent's eighth birthday, but it also happened to be the young boy's first debut as Superboy. Martha and Jonathan both agree that allowing Clark to begin a superhero uh, career is the best birthday present he'll ever receive. They've accepted that there was nothing more that was possible for them to teach him, and that he's more than ready. Meanwhile... In downtown Smallville, the citizens of Smallville marvel as Superboy flies overhead. Although clueless, the young Superboy is uh, the young superhero is being watched from an, by an unknown enemy. While flying around, Superboy almost interrupts a pilot's tests, uh, a stunt pilot's test, incorrectly conceiving the notion that the man was was crashing. At the last minute, he, none, he, he notices that this is all part of a stunt show, and so he pulls back. Superboy can't seem to help himself from performing a few tricks of his own for the crowd, though. As he finishes, an alien spacecraft appears out of nowhere, zaps the hero with a ray beam, which teleports him on board their ship. They flee the scene, leaving the crowd's minds to wonder the, uh, about the ultimate fate of Superboy. Elsewhere... Superboy finds himself lying on the ground. Strange and mysterious voices greet him, stating that they are once again glad to see him. Of course, Superboy has not a clue what they're referring to, 
As he starts to pick himself up, the aliens attempt to subdue Superboy, although he narrowly escapes and returns home. In the late afternoon at the Kent home, the family settles into the living room to watch home movies displaying Clark shortly after he initially arrived on Earth. A few minutes pass by, and, uh, and then suddenly the image is replaced by uh, uh, Superboy's former captor's spaceship. Try saying that three times fast. The aliens reveal themselves to be Bryn and Myla. They hail from a plague-ridden planet and are the only survivors as they created an experimental cure. Alas, by the time it was finished, everyone else on their planet had already died. Even so, not all was as it seemed. The cure worked a little too well by inhibiting Bryn and Myla's brains from allowing them to age. And so it was that they spent eons working on a theoretical cure for their condition. If it hadn't been for Clark's passing rocket, it might have remained entirely theoretical. But using their technology, the aliens determined that it was a being with great power residing within the rocket ship. However, as they attempted to approach the rocket ship, a space warp knocked them light years from their original position. As they teleport into the Kent living room, they explain that Clark is their only salvation, as they've created a device that's going to allow them to transfer his aging factor into themselves. This process will have the side effect of not allowing Superboy to age. Clark's parents beg him not to comply, but Bryn and Myla try persuading him to allow them to take possession of his aging factor. Superboy takes the device and goes to think about his decision, whether he wants to be eternally eight years old or face the turmoil of adulthood later on in life. Superboy seemingly zaps himself with the device, fooling Bryn and Myla into thinking that he's done as they requested. When Superboy returns home, the aliens zap themselves and then use their science to, to memory wipe Superboy, which will activate in five minutes' time. In actuality, though, after they leave, Superboy reveals to his parents that he countered the beam that would have taken his aging factor using his heat vision. He tells them that he figured if he tricked Bren and Myla into thinking that they could age again, their powerful brains would allow them to start aging again. Superboy uses his telescopic vision to check on Bren and Myla to see if his plan has actually worked, and indeed it has, as they have already begun aging just a tiny little bit. Basically, Superboy used the placebo effect to cure them of their condition. When the five minutes are up, Clark loses his, his memory of the day's proceedings, but his parents vow to put an extra candle on his birthday cake from that day forward in appreciation for the fact that he will in fact get older with every passing year. The end. So, what did I think? Well... For one thing, I've just now realized that I forgot to give the the credits for this issue. So, they are as follows. Cover date is January of 1980. Cover artist is Kurt Schaffenberger. Writer is Carrie Bates. Penciler is Kurt Schaffenberger. Inker is Dave Hunt. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Letterer is Ben Oda. And I believe, I'm flipping ahead here, yeah, editor is Julius Schwartz. So, talked about the cover. Let me just say, though, that this issue is just tons and tons of fun. There's also a fair amount of, of myth that we need to work through here. 
uh, as well. But I guess we can get to that in due in due course. I want to start off though on page one. There's a little legend at the uh, in the upper left corner of the page that says, "Rocketed to Earth from the exploding planet Krypton, baby Kal-el was adopted by a kindly couple named Jonathan and Martha Kent." Renamed Clark, he grew to adolescence in Smallville, learning to use his powers wisely. Wow, I fucked that up. Renamed Clark, he grew to adolescence in Smallville, learning to use wisely the amazing superpowers that would one day make him the world's greatest superhero. These are the adventures of Superman when he was Superboy. And basically, this first page, what we're seeing here is is Clark Kent standing in front of what looks like actually a pretty fucking giant uh, birthday cake. And he's surrounded by all of his friends, specifically Pete Ross, who kind of needles Clark a little bit by saying, make a secret wish before you blow out the candles. Because for those of you who don't know, in the pre-crisis days and also on Smallville, Pete Ross was the only one who knew Superboy's secret identity, but Pete went an extra step with it by not telling Clark that he knew his secret. Pete rationalized it that Clark is keeping this a secret for a reason, so I'm going to keep it secret from him. But here he's kind of needling Clark a little bit by saying a secret wish. Clark has a secret and Pete has a secret. Pete's secret is that he knows Clark's secret, but he's keeping that secret. It's just a secret on many levels here, and I like that. Anyway, so you've also got Lana Lang, who's kind of talking shit to Clark a little bit. And you've also got Chief Parker just kind of hanging around. And it's not explicit on the page, or at least it's not completely explicit on the page. But I'm pretty sure that he's got his eye on Lana Lang because he's. it looks like he's kind of making eyes at her. And thinking to himself, ah, to be 16 and fancy free again. That would be my wish. I kind of have to assume that what he wants to do is get into Lana's pants here because otherwise you're left trying to figure out why it is that the chief of police is hanging around a 16-year-old's birthday party. I don't have a really good answer for that. Except to say that maybe what he's trying to do is shall we say, get Lana Lang's attention. The world may never know. Anyway, so basically, as all of this is going on, we get scenes of the birthday party, but we also get a little bit of an insight into, let's just call it what it is, guys. This was a continuity fuck-up that somebody along the, along the way made. What we're seeing here at Clark's 16th birthday party is what looks to be Jonathan and Martha... And they look to be maybe approaching middle age, maybe not quite there yet, but they're getting there. You know, maybe between 35 and somewhere in their lower 40s. That looks to be just about where Jonathan and Martha are. Of course, they were shown to be a lot older when they actually found Superboy's rocket. And so how do you resolve this continuity fuck up? Well... There's a handy little editor's note here on page two that says, As longtime Superboy fans know, Ma and Pa Kent were turned younger by a chemical from another dimension. Therefore, although this scene occurs before the preceding one, meaning the flashback that we're about to start up, therefore, 
Although this scene occurs before the preceding one, the Kents actually look older in the past. Get it? Because they found that chemical from another dimension. I, you know, and I'm just going to put this on pause. How the fuck would you explain that to people? You know, like everyone in town knew you when and they saw you and understood you to be somewhere in your upper 50s or lower 60s. So how do you explain to people that, yeah, I found this weird fucked up chemical from an, some other dimension that basically took about 20, 30 years, gave me 20 or 30 years of my life back. So I'm 20 or 30 years younger than you knew me when you saw me yesterday. That's fucked up. But this is just the kind of weird bullshit that would happen in the pre-crisis era. And I just cherish this stuff. I mean, you know, when I was a kind of a, a little bit more of a cynical kid and a cynical teenager, you know, just silly bullshit like this. I, you know what? Maybe I would have bought into it. I don't know. But I can't really shake the suspicion that, you know what? I don't think I would have accepted this. I really don't. You know, I might have really struggled with all of this, but I don't know. I don't, we'll never know. It's it's tough to say, but I, I kind of wonder, you know, would I have been able to invest myself in all of this, you know? So anyway, speaking of the flashback, though, basically what we're seeing is the day of Superboy's public debut and basically the way that not so much the world but specifically the town of Smallville is reacting to the, I guess, the presence of Superboy, the superpowered kid in their midst. And guys, keep in mind, what we're talking about here is an eight-year-old child. Just let that sink in. An eight-year-old child with enough physical, raw firepower to destroy the entire planet if he decides to have a temper tantrum. But because of the fact that this is the pre-crisis era, somehow that's not cause for panic worldwide, you know? And I just like that. You know, there's an issue of Justice League of America. I forget the exact issue number. But there's an issue of Justice League of America from, I want to say like 1977, 1978, something like that that basically explained that, you know what, Earth-1 basically was a lot like Earth-Prime. But what set Earth-1 apart wasn't just the presence of superheroes, it was actually the arrival specifically of Superboy. And when Superboy arrived on Earth, that started a transformation. Does that make sense? the world became a very different place. And you could say that it started perhaps on the social level where people just had a very different sense of morality. And it kind of spread to the geopolitical where America on Earth One was facing a very different geopolitical situation as compared to America from Earth Prime which is basically the real world and you had the Cold War and shit like that that was going on. And those things were, maybe they were happening on Earth One and maybe they weren't, but it wasn't 
a potentially existential crisis that Earth-1 was facing. Whereas, you know what, on Earth-Prime, which is to say our real world, yeah, it was. Or it could have been. And what ultimately started changing all of that was the arrival of Superboy's rocket ship. And it's like Earth-1 became sort of a fairy tale type of world where you would have a very simplified sense of right and wrong, a very comic book sense of right and wrong that just doesn't exist in the real world or for that matter on earth one, you know? And my view is ultimately that this transformation that earth one was undertaking was actually starting to affect their, their reality in a scientific sense. I mean, there's an argument that the world of earth one was what was governed by a very different set of fucking physics than Earth Prime, you know? You could make that argument if you wanted to, you know? Superboy's arrival on Earth was ultimately a herald of change in some very fucking fundamental ways, uh, just morally, socially, uh, geopolitically, scientifically, Superboy's presence on Earth was starting to affect everything. Right down, in fact, to the presence and existence of other superheroes. It would take time, but ultimately other people would start gaining superpowers too. Superboy was transforming Earth without even really trying. Just by being here, he was creating a different world. And that's an, as an aspect of the pre-crisis DCU that is so fucking mythic. That is so epic to me. And again, it's just one of those great tragedies that got lost after Crisis on Infinite Earths. But when you think about just how fucking epic that is, I can't believe that some editor decided, you know what, we need to, we need to get rid of this. You know, I don't know. It's I'm not trying to shit talk the post-crisis DC universe cuz I love post-crisis DC, but pre-crisis DC had so much that was just amazing about it. And so much of that ended up getting washed out. And I just think it's kind of sad. It's sad that that happened, you know? So, anyway, you've got this flashback. Like I keep talking around here. I keep getting sidetracked here, but you've got this flashback where Jonathan and Martha basically are trying to make peace with the fact that, you know, Superboy has gone public. He's an eight-year-old child. And there's a sense in which, you know what, except for providing him a home and feeding him every night, they've basically raised their son. They've done everything they've can, they can. I mean, really at this point, what everybody's kind of waiting for is for him to turn 18 and then he can be an adult in name as well as fact. But he's basically there already, you know? What they're doing right now is just keeping up appearances of raising Clark Kent, but in fact, he's already an adult, you know? He's already there, you know? So, but this is... This is a very big and very emotional moment, you know? I mean, Martha even says, last night wasn't only special for Clark, but for the whole world as well. After all... It isn't every day that a super-powered eight-year-old makes his first public appearance. Allowing Clark to begin his super career has to be the greatest birthday present 
he'll ever have. And Jonathan answers, and he's earned it, Martha. We've watched him train and grow with his superpowers for six years now. He was ready. There was nothing much more that we could teach him. And Martha replies, I suppose you're right. (sighs) Our lives, and especially his, will never be the same from now on. For the rest of his life, he'll have to be two people. And Jonathan answers, yes, and only the one with the glasses can be our son. The one with the cape belongs to the world. And guys, think about that. You know, they've raised their son. Now, they've spent less time doing so, perhaps, than the post-crisis Jonathan and Martha did. But they've raised their son. And the worldview that he has, his sense of responsibility, his sense of right and wrong, his, I would say, pristine and perfect morality, they helped shape that. They helped guide that. They've enabled that. They've basically enabled him to be Superboy, right? Jonathan and Martha Kent in the pre-crisis fucking gave us Superboy. And they can never take credit for that. They can never take pride in that. They can never say to the world, look what our son did. I mean, guys, think about Michael Jordan, you know? His parents can say, yeah, that's our son. Or... um. I don't know, uh, President George W. Bush, whether you like the guy or not, his, present, uh, his, his parents can look at him and say, yeah, that's our son. He's president of the fucking United States, guys. Or anybody else, anybody else who goes on to achieve great things in life. You know, many, in, in many cases, their parents can say to the public, yeah, we did that. We raised that person. You know, we gave you this person, you know, who's created an iPhone or, a, or has become president of the United States, fucking whatever, you know, we did that. And Jonathan and Martha Kent have arguably done the greatest thing in all of history, and they will never get a chance to publicly take credit for that. Now, I do think that in, you know, the years and centuries to come, Jonathan and Martha Kent are going to be famous for what they did, but it's not going to happen in their lifetimes. You know, the world will never have a chance to thank them for what they've done. And the most that they're going to be able to say is that they raised a, a good, honest, and in his own ways, successful kid, which is to say Clark Kent, but they'll never get to be the parents They'll never get a chance to be publicly known as the parents of Superboy during their lifetimes, you know? And guys, that's fucking heavy, you know? I mean, for those of you listening to this who are parents, just think about that. What if the day came when you had to deny being your child's parents? I mean, there's a greater good, perhaps, that's being served there, but just think about that. What would that do to you as a mother? or as a father, you know? What effect would that have on you to know that you could only claim aspects of your child's identity, but never the best? You know, the greatest humanitarian who ever lived, and you can't ever take credit for that. You know, just take the parental pride that would come with, say, being the mother of Mother Teresa, or the father of Mother Teresa, or fucking whoever, you know? Just let that sink in, guys. I mean, that's a tremendous fucking burden for Jonathan and Martha to carry around for the rest of their lives. 
but they do it because there's a higher, more noble good being served here. If they weren't capable of doing this, they wouldn't have been capable of parenting Superboy to begin with. That's fucking epic. You know, that is amazing to me, you know? Anyway, so that's all on page three. Now, page four, we basically get a very young, very muscular, but a very young eight-year-old Superboy swooping around through the air and basically letting the world see their new hero, or at least letting downtown Smallville see their new hero. And guys, I got to be realistic here with you for a minute. Kurt Schaffenberger's model for Superboy isn't quite as good as it will be someday, but he's getting there. But I don't know why. There's something about this kind of money shot on page four, panel one, of Superboy swooping through the air and flying around and, and you know, people are just gasping at him. You know, the fact of him. And... There's something just a little bit off with this model. Now, Schaffenberger would get better and better and better as time went on. But it's he's not quite where he will be. Um, even in just a few issues after this one, you know? And so, anyway, it's good. But if you're reading this along with me, just keep in mind, this it, it is going to get better. You know, this isn't terrible, but it's going to get it's going to get better in the very near future. So I guess just keep an eye out for that. But I guess what I like about this is the idea of this sort of all good, all powerful eight year old child who maybe isn't an expert yet at being a superhero, but he's nevertheless got what he needs to begin his journey, you know, and he's doing all of these amazing things. He's flying around, he's saving people, he's inspiring people. You know, and just this look of joy on his face to finally do what he's been training his entire life up to this point to do. That's just fucking awesome. You know, I like that. And I think, you know, this is we actually get a little bit of him uh, starting his learning curve a little bit on page four where he sees a plane, this sort of uh, single prop uh, plane. It's basically, it looks like it's actually about to crash, but what Superboy realizes is he's actually dive bombing. You know, he's putting on a uh, an air stunt show for a crowd of onlookers, and it's all part of the show. Now, I happen to think that an adult Superman probably would have realized this right away, he would have used his x-ray and telescopic vision and seen the banner on the ground a lot sooner than Superboy does here. He wouldn't have ever swooped into action. But Superboy does swoop into action. Now he pulls back at the last minute because he realizes what's going on. But I think an adult Superman never would have made this mistake in the first place, you know? And it just indicates this isn't necessarily the best example I can think of of Superboy learning lessons in in this series, but this is probably the best example in this issue. So you'll take what you can get and you'll like it. Anyway, as all of that's going on, obviously, you know, what Superboy decides to do is kind of put on an air show of his own. And this is a little bit of, 
a little bit of showing off. You know, there's really no question about it. Superboy is kind of stealing the 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 pilot's thunder here a little bit by doing his own aerial maneuvers and whatnot. And I don't know. I mean, again, he's kind of indulging his own ego a little bit. He is Superboy, but he's not necessarily perfect. He's a little subject to his own vanity at times, you know? Anyway, so aliens end up taking him on board uh, their ship and Superboy escapes. This all happens on pages seven and eight. Uh, Superboy gets briefly captured and then he makes his escape. And this is a, a kind of a, a, an indication of what's to come for Earth One. You know, the residents of Smallville have just seen their first super-powered uh, superhero. They saw that yesterday. Today, what they're seeing is their first alien abduction. And things are going to get even weirder for Earth-1 before all said and done. But literally, from the start, what we're seeing is that Superboy is changing the world. Now, it, true, he is actually directly responsible for the aliens ever coming to Earth in the first place. But the reality is, the nature of reality is changing for Earth-1, little by little. And stuff like this is front-page news. But there's going to come a point in Superman's career where Superman getting abducted by an alien spacecraft, that's Tuesday on Earth-1, you know? It's not necessarily breaking news if something like that happens. So that process and that transformation is already starting right fucking here. And it's just amazingly well done. Love it. Anyway, boy, I'm really rambling here. I better start getting, getting a little bit more to the point. Basically, what we get here is, starting on page nine, a little bit of a little bit of history as it relates uh, to the aliens. Basically, uh, what we're seeing are Bren and, and Myla giving a little bit of their history. They're basically giving their side of the story in terms of why it is that they're doing the things that they're doing. And you have to admit, I mean, this is, this is a kind of heavy burden for somebody to have to live with because of the fact that you know, guys, these people are millions of years old, right? They're at least three million years old. What would that do to your mind after a while? You know, you've been traveling through space and your home world is gone. You're millions upon millions of years old. And literally the only thing on the one hand keeping you sane and on the other hand, driving you completely fucking crazy is the same fucking person that you've been talking to for millions and millions of years. And in effect, what they're asking Superboy to do is kill them, you know, in some ways. Now, what they're, the way that they're framing it is they want to be allowed to age. They want to be allowed to get old. In effect, though, what they're asking Superboy to do is kill them very slowly through the natural aging process. 
And so the question becomes, does Superboy have the right to kill? And this is actually a kind of a heavy moral issue that, if you think about it, these people are defying nature. It's not natural to live forever. And what they're basically asking for is Superboy to allow them to experience nature. Does that make sense? They're basically allowing, they're basically requesting that Superboy allow them to age. And that is the most natural process in the entire world. And so I don't think that Superboy or even Superman would begrudge that decision. If there's something that he can do to allow nature to resume its course, I think he would do it, even if the consequences are lethal, as it is for, uh, uh, for uh, God, what are these guys' names? For Brennan, uh, for Brennan Myla. This process ultimately is going to kill them. But guys, that's natural. You know, it's not like Superboy's choking them to death. They're basically allowing nature to take its course, for the aging process to take its course, and they need Superboy's help to do it. So, yeah, one way of looking at it is, yeah, they're asking Superboy to kill them. Another way of looking at it, though, is that they're basically just allowing, or rather, they're requesting that Superboy allow nature to, to, to just run its course, you know? And under the circumstances, I think that's a completely reasonable request, you know, especially since they've got millions of years of what works out to psychological torture working against them, you know, the loneliness of it, you know? So Superboy finds a way to satisfy their request on the one hand, but on the other hand, in a way that doesn't harm him personally, you know? Because when you think about it, I mean, it is kind of an unfair thing that Bryn and Myla are asking in that they're basically requesting Superboy take their burden upon himself. And that's not fair to him, you know? But what Superboy does is he realizes, you know, the placebo effect is a very real clinical phenomenon, and for a for a race of people that are as highly mentally developed as these guys, simply believing that they are now aging may be that may be enough to cure them of their of their condition, you know. So I don't know. That's that's a very clever way of resolving the problem. But on page thirteen, what Superboy says. For them, immortality only meant traveling endlessly through space, always suffering eter eternal loneliness and sometimes agonizing pain. But I think I could handle immortality a lot better. After all, I'm Superboy. Now, <clears throat> on some level, Superboy may actually believe that. But on the other hand, that doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to be immortal. Now, guys, I got to tell you, part of me kind of likes the idea, the concept of Superman being essentially immortal. You know, I kind of like the, the DC 1 million approach of Superman basically outliving everybody that he loves and cares about. And basically, once he's accomplished everything for planet Earth that he possibly can... He leaves. 
You know, he's got descendants. He's not leaving Earth completely empty, empty handed. He's not leaving them defenseless. You know, he's left offspring there to do whatever it is that needs doing. But Superman fundamentally has had enough. And so he moves on, maybe to move to a new world to help them, maybe to do something else entirely, you know, but whatever his destiny is, it's taking him away from Earth. And instead of being just Smallville's champion or just Metropolis's champion or even the world's champion or even this galaxy's champion, maybe he can be this entire universe's champion. And I like that idea. What I don't like is the idea of Superboy being immortal at the age of eight, but to be cognitively eight years old for the rest of his life. That's, and bodily eight years old for the rest of his life. And that's, that's pretty fucked up. So anyway, luckily that's not exactly on the table. You know, Superboy basically figures out a way to restore the alien's natural aging process which I don't think is an unfair thing to do. Yes, this process, it will end with their death, but that's natural. You know, it's natural to age. It's natural to ultimately die, you know, for whatever reason, natural causes or whatever else. This is the natural process, you know, and it's not unfair of Superboy. I don't think he's violating his code against killing by effectively allowing nature to run its course, you know? So if you think about the rule against killing as an absolute, what you kind of have to rationalize is that Superboy broke it the day he became Superboy by virtue of letting these aliens be, resume aging. Because if his, if his sole objective is to preserve life no matter what, then he's basically violating his code by allowing these aliens to resume aging because ultimately that process will kill them, you know, but he takes a much broader view of it. And I like that, you know, there's a, this is not just intelligence at this point. This is actual wisdom that Superboy's demonstrating here, you know, and I like that, you know, I like the fact that he can be a force, not just for good, but also a force for change, positive change, you know, that's a good thing. So, Anyway, I just really dig this, is what I'm saying, which is why I keep beating this horse to death. Making I'm beating a dead horse until it's an even deader dead horse, I suppose. So, I guess what I like about this, and this, I, I guess, is how I'm going to wrap up. What I like about this is that there's a kind of holistic wisdom that Superboy is demonstrating here that he has literally from day one. You know, he knows how to use his powers. Maybe not always perfectly. There are certain things that need fine-tuning, but he is ready, mentally as well as physically, to be this hero, you know? To be this champion. Even though he's an eight-year-old child, he... he is ready to be this, you know? And I just fucking dig that. You know? And again, I don't mean this... When I say that I love the pre-crisis Superboy and just the entire nature of the pre-crisis Superman myth, I don't mean that to say that, you know, because I love this, I must hate the post-crisis Superman. I fucking don't. I love the post-crisis Superman, guys. But 
I'm I'm not so in love with the post-crisis Superman that I can't recognize the amazingly fucking awesome things that the pre-crisis things, uh, the pre-crisis Superman had going for him, you know? And guys, I gotta tell you, I've said on a few occasions now that while I enjoy the Zack Snyder Superman, you know, I really enjoyed Man of Steel. <sighs> That's not definitive for me, you know? That's not the Superman movie that I've always wanted. What I've always wanted is actually something more like this, something more like a young Superboy movie, where you follow this eight or nine or ten or however year old Superboy as he grows and changes and becomes Superman, you know? That's, that's what I really want to see in live action feature film, you know? I want to see him not really go on the same kind of journey that that Clark went through on Smallville because I love Smallville that's my favorite live action adaptation of Superman ever but you know Smallville told that story so well that I don't really see what's to be gained from retelling that in big screen feature film you know but a young Superboy movie that shows him growing and maturing and changing you know he's already all good and he's already all powerful but what he's discovering and what he's growing and what he's doing is basically coming to a realization of number one how to be a better hero just in terms of technicalities and practicalities and all of that stuff but he also undergoes the same journey and the same evolution and ultimately the same growth that Superboy went through through what I would say is kind of the latter day Bronze Age beginning right here in the new adventures of Superboy and then going right on through to Superman the Secret Years and that same type of journey you know emotionally and mentally that he went through there that's what I'd want to see you know in big screen live action feature film because Number one, wide audiences have never fucking seen that before. But number two, that is so different from what Marvel's doing. It's unique. No one would compare this to, to goings-on with Marvel. It's so different. You know, and it's also different from anything else that's been done in, in live-action, big-screen Superman. I mean, imagine a young Superboy movie along the lines of what we see here in the new adventures of Superboy. But imagine a young Superboy movie directed by Brad Bird, you know? How fucking epic would that be, you know? That's what I want to see in in live-action, big-screen Superman cinema. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe someday you can do Superman movies based on all that stuff, but I want to see movies with a young Superboy, you know? That would just be fucking amazing. That's what I want to see. You know, basically, The New Adventures of Superboy adapted to the big screen you know not necessarily in a literal way you know telling these exact same stories but something in this tone and in this style that's what i want to see you know so anyway that i think is pretty much it at least as far as what i have to say for the new adventures of uh superboy number one that's pretty much what what i had to say about it so 
Anyway, so I think that's pretty much it for me this week, everybody. So hope you enjoyed it. Now, I don't know when I'm going to come back to the new adventures of Superboy. I, I simply know that I will. And I want it to be soon, but, I, you know, I just, I look at stuff that I've got planned. Not necessarily recorded, but I look at what I have planned for the weeks and months to come. And I'm not sure when I'll have a chance to do it, but I'll, I'll try to figure something out. And I'll try coming back to this to this series at some point or another because this is just so fucking good i love the new adventures of superboy and i definitely want to come back to it at some point but anyway i'll do that at some point in the future i simply know not when but anyway i think that's pretty much it for me this week everybody so bye and i'll see you next week Sorry, I ain't sorry. Sorry, I ain't sorry. I ain't sorry. He trying to roll me up. I ain't picking up. Headed to the club. I ain't thinking about you. Me and my ladies sip dissy cups. I don't give a fuck chucking my deuces up. Suck on my balls, paws. I had enough. I ain't thinking about you. Middle fingers up, put them hands high, wave it in his face, tell him boy bye. Now you want to say you're sorry. Now you want to call me crying. Now you got to see me wilding. Now I'm the one that's lying. And I don't feel bad about it. It's exactly what you get. Me and my baby, we gone be all right. I see them boppers in the corner. They sneaking out the back door. He only want me when I'm not there. He better call Becky with the good hair. He better call Becky with the good hair. When you think of podcasts about religion, you probably think of this. But at least one religion podcast sounds more like this. I kick ass for the Lord. Dorkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history, because we're theological nerds. 
these topics interest you, check out dorknesstolight.blogspot.com for our more regular content. Or dorknesstolight.tumblr.com for our more irregular content. Memes and puns, mostly. My bad. Dorkness to light. Often irreverent, rarely sacrilegious. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonzacore of Milan, Italy.